It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. It's week two inside season five of This Week in the Big East, our weekly look at the teams, the coaches, the players, and the stories from the schools in the Big East Conference. Once again, I'm John Rook with Providence Journal beat writer, Basketball Times contributor, and author Kevin McNamara. Kevin, we opened last week talking about things that are old and new again all at the same time, and we used Villanova as the prime example a week later, and the Cats and their experience in league games starting to show through. Big games, yeah, they're continuing to set the pace. You know, they've had a light week, Villanova, and really gearing up for a really busy stretch. Huge game on Friday night at the Wells Fargo Center against Xavier, and then they go on the road a little bit. So, again, we, we've said it year after year, Villanova is not going to roll through this league. Uh, they didn't last year. You know, people forget they won the national title and did not win the Big East. But uh, until they take one on the chin this year, we'll see how long Jay Wright's team can keep rolling. Yeah, and I have no reason to believe with the experience that we talked about with guys like Phil Booth and Eric Paschal, who have been a part of a couple of the national title teams there. I see no reason why when somebody needs to take over on the floor, they have two guys that can do that. And that's one of the reasons why they should be in this position. Well, it's interesting. The Big East just had uh, three guys named to, you know, like midseason watch lists among the top players in the country. Uh, those two guys are conspicuous by their absence there's there's no reason why those two guys shouldn't be considered two of the top 25 players in the country all right so the wildcats they're the wildcats again for now but what about the middle of the picture or the muddied middle uh, as the biggie standings are likely to be referred to for the next few weeks anyway you know through midweek of this past week you have two games separating third through tenth (laughs) one in the loss column in a lot of places as well so that should present plenty of well what opportunity for a breakthrough for someone you think well, I'd love to be able to chart the difference the, in these games over previous years because, John, it just seems like there's so many games coming down to not only the last minute but the last possession. Right. Uh, more overtime games. We're only two weeks in for some of these teams, and yet every single game seems as if it's coming down to the last minute, which for fans is great. For coaches, oof. We'll see. Yeah, sleepless nights, right? I'm sure that it's that way. All right, well, as far as the headlines for this week, it has to be at the top, the balance from top to bottom in Big East basketball. Of the first 23 conference games played, out of 90 on the schedule, 13 games have been decided by six points or less. So anybody's game will make for some exciting nights for fans and, as we just said, sleepless nights for coaches. Second-half comebacks are becoming commonplace with just about everyone, and perhaps that's due to the relative youth on the floor in crunch time. Of note recently, well, Villanova overcame a nine-point deficit at Creighton. Xavier came from 10 down against Butler. Georgetown came back from nine down to Providence and won a double overtime thriller on not one but two miraculous shots. The Big East remains in the number three spot on conference RPI, but what exactly is this net ranking system in place this year, and how is that metric even determined? What can we determine by mere wins and losses, and how much is being measured or considered for possible postseason play? We'll look to some insight on that last one from NCAA Vice President for Basketball, Dan Gavitt, who's going to join us a little bit later on in the program this week. But for now, six Big East teams rank in the top 56 of the net, and all teams rank within the top 100. And in case you didn't know, 
There are 353 Division I teams in college basketball across the country this season. So it's still a pretty good uh, slice right there within the Big East Conference in the top 100. That's the key, John. There's not many leagues out there that have all of their teams in the top 100. It's all about opportunities, and if you can get opportunities to rack up what they call Tier 1 and Tier 2 wins, that's what the NCAA Tournament Committee is looking for in March. And in the Big East, you know, there's not the teams in the top 10 and top 15 like we've seen in previous years, but there's enough in that Tier 1 where teams can, you know, long way to go. There's an awful lot of games, Big East games to go, but, you know, you look at everyone from Marquette to Villanova, St. John's, Seton Hall, Butler, I believe they're all in the top 50, and those are all excellent opportunities for everyone below them. So let me ask you something. Without a top-tier elite team in that top 10 or so, does that hurt the league overall, or is it still good that you really don't have a bottom to this league, it would appear? Well, it all depends on what happens toward toward the end. If they end up with you know six teams at 9-9 nine and nine and 10-8, and eight, well, there's a problem. Uh, we'll see how they separate as March comes around. But uh, right now they are clearly all bunched up. Uh, and it's just a matter of a three-game winning streak sure. Ch- changes your season right now. Right. All right, don't forget, if you've got questions on your favorite team or any other team in the Big East, send them to us. We'll use them here on the show. Hit us up on Twitter with a hashtag, T-W-I-T-B-E, TwitBee. And we thank all of our Westwood One stations for tuning in, and if you're catching us on Sirius XM, welcome. If you're on your commute or maybe working out of the gym, don't forget to leave a comment if you download the podcast on iTunes. Stitcher and Google Play are also our podcast partners, so you can listen in anytime, anywhere. In an established, often dominant league like the Big East, newbies sometimes get their hats, well, handed to them, whether a player or a coach or even an unsuspecting member of the media. Within the coaching ranks this season, there's a new head musketeer at Xavier. But he's a guy who certainly knows the ropes on his campus, as well as what to expect within this league. Travis Steele is the new kid on the block this year. He joins us next, this week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. Xavier University. It's a place where learning extends beyond the classroom, where students learn more by doing more and discover new truths about their world and themselves, where passion meets purpose, where students blend mission and meaning and live lives that truly matter. That's the Xavier way. Learn more about what a Xavier education can do for you at Xavier.edu. Big E Spotlight. Back out to Marshall. He dribbles it down the lane. Gets to the rim. Monster two-hand. Sledgehammer slam by Marshall. Xavier's pulled within two. Well, for the Xavier Musketeers, it's all about continuing the momentum the program has established since entering the Big East six seasons ago. And yet, when the page turned this year to 36-year-old Travis Steele, the Musketeers weren't just turning to a younger guy who grew up in a hoop-crazy place like Indiana. They were also turning to a guy who understood their culture as well. Coach Steele joins us this week in the Big East. Now, Travis, what a lot of people may not realize is that you actually have pretty good history at Xavier as a sort of a coach in the making or coach in waiting. How much did your familiarity with the program and learning from your predecessors lead you to where you are right now? You know, I've been very fortunate to work underneath the last three head coaches here at Xavier. I worked for, at Ohio State for Sabata. And Sean Miller brought me here 11 years ago, and then obviously I stayed on with Chris Mack for the last nine, ten years. You know, I've learned a lot from each guy, and obviously I've been in different roles here as Xavier during my time here. Uh, so I have a lot of, I got different perspectives than a lot of people would have uh, about this place. I know this place probably as good as anybody possibly can. 
And you know, I, I was the only person that's seen uh, this program make the uh, transformation, you know, jumping up league, going from the Atlantic 10, which was a good conference, mm-hmm. uh, to the Big East Conference, which is the premier conference in the entire country. And just the challenges that, that came along with that, how to overcome that, you know, the, the transition. Um, you know, again, I've been very fortunate to be here, Xavier, for as long as I have and worked for the guys that I have. And I've taken thanks from each guy and, and uh, very, very honored and, and humbled to uh, to be be the head coach right now, Xavier. It's interesting. You just said you kind of take a little from each guy. Is there a mentor that you had along the way, whether he was at Xavier at another place that you sort of model yourself after? Because I find a lot of young guys, and you know, and I talk to a lot of GAs, as I'm sure as you do as well, that, that try to find a coach that sort of fits their style. Did you model your character after anybody in your past? You know, I was really, my brother is a uh, is a head basketball coach at the Division One level. Right, uh, John Gross. He's actually the head coach back Akron now. Right. And obviously, you know, we are we are extremely close. Along along with, you know, Sean Miller. I've known Sean, uh, man, since I was a little kid, and uh, I was always really close with him. And I've been very fortunate that he that he brought me here to Xavier. You know, I wouldn't say there's necessarily just one guy though. You know, it's like I'm taking a little bit from each guy because I've been lucky to be be under my uh, work underneath some terrific terrific coaches and human beings so it's kind of a little bit of everybody you know, I took things from Chris Mack and from John Miller from Bad Mata, my brother John Gross you know, all those guys I mean that's a pretty good uh, list of guys to look up to and, and, and learn from I would think so sounds to me like you kind of set up for success and yet you're stepping into your first year as a head coach in a conference like the Big East so what when you realized you were getting this job and you were moving ahead with your career and you knew that you had a tremendous legacy to pick up What's the first thing you decided you had to do? You know, I think the first thing I did was I went to the players, and, and you know, we kind of set set the tone as far as the culture that I want um, here at Xavier, and and how I kind of foresee us running our program, and then also let those guys know, hey, number one, I I'm the same person, even though I'm changing that you know position, um, I'm always going to be the guy that cares about them, loves them. I'm going to have great, very, very close relationships with our players. I'll do anything for those guys. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to be very demanding, just like I always have been, and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be on them, you know, academically, uh, as a person, um, and as a basketball player. And and uh, that was the first thing that that I did was kind of met with those guys, make sure they know, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to change at all, I'm be the same guy that I've always been. Travis Steele, head coach at Xavier, with us this week in the Big East. John Rook, Kevin McNamara here now. Coach, let's get to your roster because you did have a little bit of a changeover from last year. I mean, pretty tough to be a you know top three or four ranked team most of the year, get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, and not have big expectations, and yet you had some changeover, losing All-American caliber players. So did you think about changing style? Are you relying on guys like Tyreek Jones, Paul Scruggs, who was a part of it, Quentin Gooden obviously was a part of it last year, relying on those guys to pick you up? Or did you really just sort of reform some of your strategy? You know, we're going to be similar, you know, to what we were last year. You know, again, like our offense will always kind of change year to year as far as what we run. You know, because it's going to be you want to try to try to hide your weaknesses and uh, go off your sure. strengths as best you possibly can. Um, but defensively, you know, I knew kind of going into the year that we were going to have a shorter roster, mm-hmm. and just with with the with the with the way the roster is right now. You know, so we added three grad transfers, but you know, we only have you know five returning players off last year's team. You know, with that, you know, being said, you know, I, I decided we we're going to play a little bit more zone this year than we have in the past. Um, I knew that was something we were going to do, and it's something that we've worked on a lot more here earlier on in the year than we ever have before. Um, obviously, we'd love to be a man-to-man defensive team, 
as much as possible, but we're going to do whatever it takes to put us in the best position to win. Sure. You you mentioned some of those grad transfers. What's the secret to going out there and and finding some of that experience that can help kind of keep your team stuck together? Is there one? You know, I think just having a great pulse on that market, on the transfer market, you know, it's a, uh, it happens so quick. You know, those recruitments may last like a week, you know, so you honestly have to have a great pulse on, <laughs> on the transfer before they even happen. Then once they happen, you get attacked very quickly, know kind of what you what you're looking for, and for us, you know, we needed we needed guys up front. We only had Tyreek Jones coming back along our front line, mm-hmm. and we needed guys that could shoot the ball. Obviously, losing Nakira, uh, Blewett, and uh, and Kaiser Gates. So we knew we needed some shooting, and, and we thought, you know, Ryan Wells kind of provided that. Tank has kind of provided the uh, the front court piece, and then we thought that Kyle Castle just give us another veteran guy in the locker room, which I thought was really important for this team. Well, the one guy that we didn't mention there a couple of moments ago is probably one of the most well thought of around the league and Najee Marshall. Uh, how has Najee's development gone now that he's had to go from being, you know, a newbie and a bit player or, or a part-time player now to a guy that you have to rely upon? You know, like all of a sudden now he's going to be one of the top guys at the top of the scouting report rather than at the bottom of the scouting report, you know, which he was last year. He's, he's trying to learn how to be a, go, a play-through guy. Um, you know, last year we played through Blewett, Sakura, and Cantor, and Obera, and now they were playing a lot through him and Scruggs, and it went good. And, and so it's been an adjustment. I think adjusted well, though. I think he's starting to uh, really get comfortable in his role um, in Flores. I mean, he's, he's obviously a guy that can defend and rebound. He can impact the game in a lot of different ways. But we need him to be a playmaker for us and be a guy that lives in the paint, whether it's through post-ups or drives. All right, Coach, uh, for a final one here, I want you to sort of fill in the blank as I give you this sentence. For Xavier to be back where Xavier is accustomed to being in the Big East, we must do blank. You talking about for this year? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I think number one thing is is uh, taking care of the ball. Uh, I think that's been our Achilles heel um, to this point of season. We're doing a better job right now than we ever have before, and we've got to continue to take care of the ball. Coach, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate that. Continued success, and we'll see you on the Big East Trail. Thank you. Who's hot? Well, hot hands come tournament time. That could be a good thing for any team to have. The lineup of the hottest hands is next, this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. Every day, the NCAA is working across campuses to keep college athletes safe by committing research and resources to their physical and mental health. Physical and mental health includes, but is not limited to, education, research initiatives and new policies on concussion, promoting best practices around cardiac health, sexual violence prevention and education, mental health resources and training, alcohol and other drug abuse prevention, guidance on nutrition, sleep and performance, creating safety guidelines for all NCAA sports, support of the American development model to prevent overuse injuries. And that's just what we could fit within 30 seconds. Visit NCAA.org slash wellbeing to learn more. Who's hot? Mosley gets it into McClung. Strokes up a three. Off the window! I think it can! Oh my! 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 Mac McClung has tied this ball game up! Top of the circle, hit a three, and I believe we're going overtime! Can you believe this? Howard step back guarded three, you bet! Eight in a row to begin OT! He's got 47 in the game! Howard step back three again, and again, he drills it. He's got 50. Howard ties his career high with 52. And a new Big East record, 53. 
And welcome back to This Week in the Big East. I'm John Rook with Kevin McNamara. How about the Big East Player of the Week this past week? We had a chance to actually visit with him at the tail end of last week's show because he had just torched the opposition for 53 and a big win at Creighton. It's Marcus Howard of Marquette who takes the Player of the Week honors. I can't imagine anybody else who uh, would average 39.5 points in two Marquette wins not being the Player of the Week, Kevin. And even though he did not play in his one game this week with some back spasms, uh, Marcus Howard clearly has a performance, uh, one of the best performances of the year anywhere in college basketball going for him. Tough to top. I mean, not too many not too many guys are going to top 53. And, you know, John, this is why Marcus Howard is so good. The next, the next game after he scores 53, he puts 26 on Seton Hall, and they need every single one of them in a 70-66 win. Right. He's super valuable, or so we thought, because at Georgetown, uh, he has uh, some back spasms and can't play, right. but it speaks to how good Marquette is that they can go in to D.C. and win 74-71. No question. So the 53 that he hit against Creighton broke the uh, previous record of 52 that he actually shared with Providence's Marshawn Brooks. 15 of 26 from the field in that game, 10 of 14 from three-point range, and then, as you said, followed it up with 26 points in that win over Seton Hall. The freshman of the week this week, James Akinjo from Georgetown. If you don't know this name, this is one guy that you need to start watching play because he is dynamic, he is quick, he's got a good outside shot. The best thing I like about James Akinjo, no fear from a freshman. Nobody's put any fear into him yet. He's basically able to do what he wants to do. Well, I give an awful lot of credit to the Georgetown coaching staff. Patrick Ewing, obviously, uh, the head dog there. Uh, three freshmen are really playing well for Georgetown. Mac McClung is finally back from his from his injury and has had a major impact in the two games. Uh, and Josh LeBlanc is an impressive-looking forward freshman. But Akinjo is the best freshman in the league right now. Plays with great poise. He can shoot it deep. Uh, he had nine assists in the win over Providence, so he knows how to share the ball. And he has a flair for the dramatic as well. He's a very, very good freshman. 16.5 points, 7.5 assists, and 3 rebounds in a 1-1 one one week for the Hoyas. And as we mentioned, in the uh, double overtime win that they had, 96-90 to over Providence, 20 points, 9 assists, which was a career best. And he had a big shot to put the game into a second overtime. All right, so after James Akinjo and the freshman of the week, the Big East honor roll, Femi Olajobi from DePaul. Again, another name that you might not be familiar with that is starting to show up. 27 points and 8 rebounds and an 8-point win at St. John's. Pretty good way to get started. Jesse Govan, Georgetown, 30 points and 11 rebounds in a 1-1 one one week for the Hoyas as well. Jesse Govan and, and uh, Olajobi as well, both of these guys, big men emerging names in the conference. Ed Cooley probably will go to a graduation at Georgetown to give Jesse Govan his <laughs> diploma because he torches the Friars. He had 33 and 14 rebounds in the win over Providence. You also had uh, Miles Powell from Seton Hall, familiar name there, averaged 26 points and six boards in a one-on-one week uh, for uh, uh, Seton Hall overall. Phil Booth from Villanova, the senior guard, 28 points, seven assists, and a win at Creighton, 23 more in a win over St. John's. And then Paul Scruggs from Xavier getting off the mat here, 16.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, and five assists in a win, uh, in two wins in the week for uh, the um, uh, Musketeers after he took over for Quentin Gooden for a couple of games at the point. That's not an easy job to do. No, Paul Scruggs came to Xavier with an awful lot of publicity, uh, sat a little bit last year as a, as a reserve on a loaded team, and now he and really Najee Marshall have stepped up big time for the Musketeers. And uh, sure enough, they're, they're in a great spot 
headed to Villanova on Friday night. Anything else uh, come across your plate in the last week that you thought was kind of interesting? I mean, you've got a lot of teams that are really even right now, as we suggested a little bit earlier. Fact remains is that uh, you know there's only a game basically separating third through ninth overall in the league standings after a couple of weeks. You know, there's one player who's been overlooked a little bit just because they hadn't won, and that's Alpha Diallo at Providence. Probably, if he's not the most well-rounded player in the league, he's pretty close. Uh, averaging a double-double, Providence finally got off the mat and grabbed a uh, much-needed, badly-needed win at home against Seton Hall. Yeah, no question about that. And uh, he's the only player in the Big East Conference that leads his team in scoring, rebounding, and assists. Well, it's never too soon to start thinking turning. In the 40th season of Big East basketball, and for the 37th consecutive year, the Big East men's basketball tournament will be played in New York City. March 13th through 16th at the world's most famous arena, the mecca of college basketball. It's Madison Square Garden. You can be there. Don't miss your chance to go, and it's real easy to get there. Go to BigEast.com slash MBB tickets for all of your tickets and information. Well, new coach, maybe. We've ID'd the hot hands, but who might be the best team no one is talking about? FS1 analyst and a former standout for the St. John's Red Storm, Tariq Turner, joins us to discuss that next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. As one of the country's leading Catholic universities, Seton Hall has been shaping students in mind, heart, and spirit since 1856. Today, the hall is home to nearly 10,000 students taught by world-class faculty. Our professors shine in the classroom, sharing their expertise with bright young minds who are hungry to learn. And as a member of the Big East, our student-athletes compete in one of the nation's top athletic conferences. Whether on the court or in the classroom, our students learn by doing. This is Seton Hall's moment. Be part of it. Big East Focus. Shamori Pons at the free throw line. Step back, 18-footer. High arcer wet. Woo! The Brooklyn Dodger. Well, when you're talking about Big East basketball teams, you're probably missing out if you don't get some thoughts from a guy who watches them every night or a guy who talks to the coaches and players and, and maybe a guy who once played in these arenas as well himself. Get someone who's done all three of these, and you got a pretty smart guy. Tariq Turner was a captain at St. John's. He was on an NCAA team back in 1998 and is a studio and game analyst now for Fox. Well, he's seen and spoken with just about everyone. Kevin and I spoke with him earlier this week, and we asked what he thought the strength of this league might be at the season's halfway point. Tariq Turner, Fox Sports 1 college basketball analyst, also St. John's alumnus, if you could, for just a moment, kind of give us an idea what you've seen thus far, because there has been, uh, I, I guess, a general thought that the Big East uh, isn't quite what the Big East has been over the last few years. But now that we're halfway through the season, Tariq, if you could kind of give us your impression on where you feel like the strengths of this league might be and where you feel like this league can go from right now. Yeah, well, I'll start by thinking or saying that I, I think everyone's been spoiled by the Big East success in previous years. Rightfully so. Last year, there were six teams in the tournament. Before that, five teams the, the previous two years before that. So, you know, the thought that there may be four or maybe five teams going to the tournament this year necessarily, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just a reflection of, you know, each year is different. And this year, um, certainly Nova came in as the pick to be the number one team, stumbled early, but now they found their footing. And I think that the experience of those fifth-year seniors, Pascal and Booth, have really, really made a difference. Um, even though they're a young team, those two guys are super seniors, literally and figuratively, and that's why I think they're off to a 4-0 start. 
other than them, there hasn't been a lot of separation. Uh, I think it's still kind of evolving. I think Marquette, I think Seton Hall, I think St. John's, you can put those teams as probably the most impressive eye test kind of teams in terms of all the metrics, record, talent, um, body of work. But I think it's still way too early. Um, DePaul has improved a lot. Um, I think, you know, Providence is still a team that has lost some games that they probably could and should win going down the road with Ed Cooley being such a great coach and the talent when they get A.J. Reeves back. So it's still hard to say, guys, but I, I, I think it's exciting. I think this year is, is probably more up, in the, up for grabs than previous years. And I think for the player, the coaches, and the fan, that makes for an exciting year. I, I think the thing that's you said there, Tariq, that jumps out at me is that the teams are so young, you can see their improvement almost by the week. Villanova probably being at the top of the list, you know, having some really difficult games early, Michigan, yeah. Furman, and yet Jay's done such a good job with his team. Maybe a few other teams that you can just see getting better by the week, and maybe, you know, Butler kind of stands out to me in that, in that front a little bit. Butler's certainly a team um, that I would say, Kev, is, is, is on the rise. And you can't just go by the record. I mean, you know, Right now, they're over 500, but it's very misleading. Kamar Baldwin and Paul Jorgensen um, are two of the better guards in the league. I think Laval Jordan has found his, his – his kind of starting to find the guys that he can trust, the guys that he really can, can count on. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams show improvement on the back end of the season um, after they go around once and see everybody. Mm-hmm. And Cooley the same. I mean, I think with this young team, they're going to win some games going down the stretch – um, obviously, they've lost some that they probably would like to have back. But, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of teams that we haven't seen the finished product. Pat Ewing and Georgetown, another team with a lot of young talent. And we've seen it, guys. We've seen freshmen kind of round out and kind of develop into sophomores within a year. So I think guys like Akinjo and McClung uh, at Georgetown are certainly those caliber of players. And even Reeves and, and, and Duke at Providence. Mm-hmm. Those guys – are going to play so many minutes by the time you get to late January, early February, it wouldn't surprise me if you see a totally different player uh, on a good note. Mm-hmm. All right. Tariq Turner, Fox Sports 1, joining us here this week at the Big East. Which team have you seen the most of this year, uh, and what are your impressions? Uh, let's see. I've probably seen St. John's the most just because I live in New York. and <laughs> That I, doesn't come as a real shock to me. By yeah, the way. <laughs> no, but I'm going to give you a couple examples. Right. St. John's, for obvious reasons, being an alum and, and being local right there in New York, um, I think they have talent-wise, one through five, the most talent in the league. That doesn't mean that they're going to have extreme success because – they're lacking depth, they're lacking size, but I think they have um, probably the best overall player in the conference to me is Shamari Pons in terms of what he does for mm-hmm. a team. Mm-hmm. And I think he's put himself in a position to be uh, a first-round pick. But other than him, uh, I've seen Georgetown a lot. Um, probably more than any team I've seen is Georgetown. Um, and Akinjo is the best rookie, best freshman in the conference up to this point. And obviously, if Reeves was playing, that may be a different conversation. But Akinjo is dynamic playmaking point guard, the leader of that team as a freshman, which is rare. Um, Pat Ewing has really trusted him to make a lot of decisions in crunch time, makes a lot of big shots, good decisions, not afraid. Um, and he leads that team. So I, I think he's a guy that's really stood out to me. Um, McClung also another... Really talented athletic guard, 
um, who's been hurt but just came back and is starting to show why people are so excited about him. Uh, Seton Hall is another team I've seen a lot of. Miles Powell, we still rolling? Yep. Miles Powell is a guy who certainly could be a player of the year candidate. Um, does it all. Uh, probably the best pure scorer in the league. Um, and has really improved his game, works hard, uh, scores at all three levels, the three, the mid-range, and gets to the rim. Um, so I, I like them. I like what Kevin Willard's done with this team, a new team, a lot of new guys in new roles. Um, the thing that stands out to me about Seton Hall is how hard they play defensively. Um, sometimes they make up for talent with how hard they play and how in sync they are as a team. Mm -hmm. um, everybody seems to know their role. And I think that's something that you can't really put a value on, but that can be a main ingredient for a winning team. So those are some of the teams I've seen. Uh, I've seen uh, DePaul a little bit. I think they've improved. I think their front court very underrated. They have three guys up front that can all be double-double kind of guys, and Max Struess and Eli Kane are certainly um, two of our better scorers in the yep, league. And right. obviously Nova, I've seen them as well. Mm -hmm. Nova to me is a team that – it's going to keep getting better. They're 4-0 now in the conference. But I think Eric Paschal has made himself into a pro-caliber player. Phil Booth is as talented a guard as we've seen in, in, in this year's uh, um, talent pool. Mm -hmm. um, and then the young guys are still getting better. I mean, th th that's kind of what we talked about, the youth starting to evolve. Um, you know, and I think Quinterly will come along. That's another guy who everyone wants to see more of. Right. But I think he needs some more time to get used to Jay Wright's system. Okay, we can't let him. He kind of glossed over the red storm there a little bit. I'm in complete agreement. Yeah. One through five, they may be the best team. And I'm really – the performance they put on against Marquette was eye-opening. Mm -hmm. uh, you want more detail there, Kevin? Well, I'm curious. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't quite sure how Shamari and Mustafa Heron w w would fit. Yeah. But, boy, they fit really well. Well, you got to remember, Mustafa and Shamari are friends from high school. So they know each other. They played together on the circuit. Um, in fact, when they were both in the, doing the NBA draft workouts, um, Mustafa had pretty much made up his mind he was going to go back to school. And he said, hey, Shamari, I think I'm, I'm going to go back to school, and I'm looking to come back home and, and possibly be back, uh, be back, well, not back, but be with you mm -hmm. in Queens. And I think that was kind of the moment when you could sense that there was a, a possible really uh, nice combination between those two. Um, Overall, I tell you, Shamari Pons to me is a player who is a prime example of someone that went to the NBA draft combine, got the feedback, and we're still midway through the season or not even. But at, th at this point, you can tell he is taking to heart what they said he needed to work on. He needed to work on his body. He needed to work on his leadership. He needed to work on his playmaking ability, making other, other guys better, mm -hmm. and he needed to, be, needed to be more efficient. Well, you can check all those boxes up to this point. Um, part of the reason he's making everyone else better is because he has more talent around him. L.J. Figueroa and Mustafa Heron, those two alone, along with Simon and Clark, you have guys that you can pick and roll with, pick and pop. You can, you, you know, you can make guys better. Just with Shamari Pons' ability, he can make every pass with either hand. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people say he's flashy, but he's very efficient with his passes. And you take that along with his scoring ability, and you have uh, – a dynamic scoring point guard, and I think he is that. I think he has proven he can drop 30 on anyone, yep. but it's the playmaking ability, the leadership, not really vocal, but he does it on the court, and I think that, Kevin, is why 
they have a chance to be a really good team, and um, he's really, really embraced that leadership role. FS1 and former Red Storm standout Tariq Turner. Okay, show hands. Who knows what the net is? Uh-huh. Not too many, huh? All right, good. Get your hands back on the steering wheel. Let's get some answers. The NCAA's vice president for basketball, Dan Gavitt, will help us figure it all out coming up next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the national perspective. If you want to make a difference, you need to be the difference. At Marquette University, we don't stop the pursuit of our mission ever. We research, study, test our theories, and practice our faith. We are men and women for and with others. It's excellence in the classroom, in the community, in our fields, and on the court. We do it because we're problem solvers, innovators, and fearless leaders. We do it because it's who we are. Marquette University. Be the difference. National Perspective. Pascal just takes it away. Cats have numbers. Boot back to Pascal, flying in for the two-handed jam. Cats nail one. Great play by the seniors there. Pascal just got aggressive and just stripped the ball away. Well, if you're a typical college basketball fan, you probably have heard terms like RPI, strength of schedule, quadrant one or quadrant two, right along, of course, things like center, guard, and forward. Are you a little confused, maybe? Maybe just a little? Well, college basketball has relied upon something known as the Ratings Percentage Index, or RPI, for 37 years as the primary measure of success on a court. But things are now changing. This year, the NCAA Evaluation Tool, or NET, has us all wondering, well, what's up? The NCAA Vice President for Basketball, Dan Gavitt, joins us this week in the Big East. Great to be with you again, Danny, but I'm wondering if you might help Kevin and I out a little bit and everybody else is listening. What the net is, what is it to you, and what does it mean for teams and teams fans? Sure. Well, great to be with you guys. Uh, great friends and good to be with you uh, talking basketball in the middle of the season. Right. Um, yeah, the NCAA uh, net, the, it's called the NCAA Evaluation Tool, is the new primary metric that the men's basketball committee will have uh, to evaluate teams for selection seating and bracketing for this year's tournament and as you mentioned john it replaces the rpi after 37 years i think that's really the most important thing to know is the rpi uh, served the game in the tournament for almost four decades uh, well but it was it was an outdated and a a overly simplistic metric um, in those four decades that since its introduction in 1981 the analytics in the game of college basketball, basketball overall, and sports in general have 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 become much more much more modern, much much more contemporary, much more powerful. Sure, their ability to to predict um, the RPI was only a results oriented analytic. The, the NCAA evaluation tool, another important part of it, is that it has it has results oriented characteristics, but also predictive oriented characteristics, and that's where the the analytics community has gone to over time, whether it's through sports or through finance or, or, or what you name, you name it, having the ability to use machines that take, it uses machine learning and artificial intelligence to help predict outcomes is an important part of having a more modern and uh, contemporary tool. Dan, when we saw the RPI, you guys used to re- uh, release the RPI on a, on almost a daily basis, weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, it was an actual number uh, that, yeah. One complaint is that net doesn't seem to be an actual number. 
maybe because there's just so many of the different analytics, uh, analytics and, and numbers that combine to make the net. Uh, will you release an actual number, or is that just really not needed with this with this new format? It's a good question, Kevin. I mean, what it does is it ranks teams one through three hundred and fifty three. All Division One teams are ranked um, in in order, and that's what the RPI did as well. The RPI was a very simple formula; it could be very easily explained. It was you know twenty five percent of your own record, fifty percent of your opponent's rec- winning percentage, then twenty five percent of your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. The, the, the net, uh, uh, as I mentioned, because it uses machine learning and artificial intelligence, there is no simple formula. The, 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 the computer will weight uh, or emphasize things depending on how it, it predicts accurately the outcome of games. And so it's not quite as simple as just releasing a formula. Um, but yes, I mean, the idea over time is to be as transparent uh, about what makes up the net and, and, and what it is. And, and all of these ranking systems, Ken Pomeroy's ranking system, Sagarin, BPI, KPI, they all have um, some proprietary portion of it that, you know, that, that our, the fans aren't 100% uh, aware of. But our, our intent is over time to make sure that to the extent we can, that everyone understands what makes up a net ranking in that regard. Okay, John. Artificial intelligence. I, 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 I can't. It's time to talk basketball. I've, I've had enough yeah. of this. Artificial intelligence. I, I don't know how much real intelligence I have. <laughs> well, I was just about to go there, but I figured I'd leave that one alone. <laughs> so, so, Dan, uh, for anyone who doesn't realize, the NCA is in based in Indianapolis, and in today's day and age, Indianapolis has got about four different conferences. Uh, so, Dan is allowed mm-hmm. to see, uh, able lot. to see so many different games in so many different leagues dan, dan i'm just curious what your spin is uh, on the big east uh, I, I know that you know butler is in your hometown you've probably been over to see the bulldogs but an awful lot of balance in the big east this season thus far without a doubt i mean the conference is having another great season uh probably as deep and as balanced as it's been kevin as you mentioned in a number of years um which makes uh, each night's games very competitive uh last night's just again more examples of that. Uh, hard to win on the road, but hard, hard for home teams to, to defend their court, their home court as well. Um, you know, I, the league has been so good the last uh, few years with really, you know, number one, number two seed uh, type of teams. I don't know if the top of the league is quite as powerful this year as it has been in the last number of years, but the depth of the league may be as good as it's ever been. Kevin and I have talked about many times before you coached in this league. You've been an administrator in this league as well, so you kind of know what the lay of the land is in Big East basketball. Even though we're, we're a couple of weeks into the conference season, we're now a little past the halfway point of the season overall. What are coaches talking about to their kids now, and, and, and what should – teams and their fans be concerned with and watching their teams as they develop at this stage of the game is there already too much of an emphasis on an eye to march or should they already have that in place I, you know it's a good question uh, john i don't think coaches uh spend a lot of time frankly talking to their team about march this time of year um i think that that's a goal certainly of every team in the country as they as they start and, and train over the summer and start their season and all but this time of year, it's all about getting better, practice to practice, game to game, and worrying about your next opponent because Big East is a good example, as are many other leagues. If you look too far ahead in the schedule, you know, you, you could become paralyzed with fear. Like, you know, how, how do you, how do you navigate the schedule that's ahead of you? 
you can't spend time thinking about that. You just got to spend time thinking about how we get better as a team and then how we beat the next opponent we have on our schedule. Dan, I know you're familiar with so many teams. Uh, we're going to go to the top of the polls right now, and there's one team that I think all three of us are really familiar with, and that's the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, you worked for Rick Barnes way back when uh, at Providence. I'm curious, w- what's your take on, on the Volunteers? And if you've talked to uh, Rick Barnes, I- I'm sure you have. It's very clear that this is his kind of team. Oh, there's no question. Very talented team um, that play hard. Uh, you know, always his teams have always played good defense. This team, I think, is is uh, exceptional offensively as well. Um, so, I mean, personally, and I don't get a vote, but uh, you know, if the tournament were to start today, I think Tennessee's a one seed. Um, you know, I think they've got a very good chance to you know compete for the SEC regular season title, and, and frankly, to compete for a national championship. Um, they've proven it with some of their results so far, and they seem to continue to improve. Which is, as I mentioned just a short time ago, is the key for every team right now is keep to keep getting better. Because even though all these games are important, you, you need to be even better by March in order to have the kind of success that you want to have. So happy for him and his team. Uh, that's a really good basketball team. Dan, I got one more for you, and I know that the tournament upcoming is obviously a part of your duties. One, what's the most important thing on your list of to-do things over the course of the next thirty days? Well, John, from a, a planning perspective, we—I we, just got back from Minneapolis yesterday. We had a press conference there talking about the Final Four. We have one more monthly meeting there next month. Um, we also have the men's basketball committee that comes to Indianapolis the first week of February for what we call the selection orientation meeting, and they actually go through the exercise of you know, kind of selecting, seating, and bracketing the field as if the tournament were to start at that time. It's right. kind of a practice run for mm-hmm. them when they do the real work in March. And then coming out of that meeting on uh, Saturday, February 9th on CBS, for the third year in a row, we'll release uh, the top 16 teams, the top four seed lines in the tournament if it were to start, you know, in early February and give fans and teams a preview of what the, the top seeds in the term may look like. And so the, um, that's our focus here the next few weeks. As you mentioned, we're halfway through the season now, so things are starting to take shape. And yet, you know, there's still a lot of games to be played. I mean, I think about it, it was a number of years now. Villanova, who obviously has set a standard in the Big East with two out of three na- last national championships. I remember they had a stretch sometime in about five or six years ago where they lost five games in a row. It was right around this time of year. And everyone wrote them off. You know, five in a row, they, they got no chance to make the tournament. And yet, they did make the tournament because they, they built off that and had some really, really good wins that followed. So, you know, everybody's still alive this time of year, even though, you know, some of your resume has started to form and there's some things you can't change. Everybody has a chance to win their conference tournament and get in there as an automatic qualifier. And in a league like the Big East or the Big Ten or, or the SEC or ACC, you also have a lot of opportunities down the stretch to get quality wins. Road right. wins in particular, which really you know stand out in the committee's uh, selection process. Thanks, Danny. The NCAA's vice president of men's basketball, Dan Cavett. Who's got next? Well, the big games and the marquee matchups on the horizon, they're coming up this week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next this week in the Big East? Every day, the NCAA is working across campuses to keep college athletes safe by committing research and resources to their physical and mental health. 
Physical and mental health includes, but is not limited to, education, research initiatives and new policies on concussion, promoting best practices around cardiac health, sexual violence prevention and education, mental health resources and training, alcohol and other drug abuse prevention, guidance on nutrition, sleep and performance, creating safety guidelines for all NCAA sports, support of the American development model to prevent overuse injuries. Whew. And that's just what we could fit within 30 seconds. Visit NCAA.org slash well-being to learn more. Who's got next? Fowler three, buried it! Nate Fowler's third trifecta of the day! 62-43, Butler extends their advantage over Creighton. John Rook, Kevin McNamara, once again this week in the Big East. What's coming up on the schedule? Well, this weekend, St. John's and Butler, along with DePaul and Seton Hall, are the Saturday doubleheader. Then we have a rare Sunday game as Providence gets its first visit ever to Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. Friars get to take on the Marquette Golden Eagles. Monday a single game, Tuesday a single game, and then another doubleheader on Wednesday. So the competition gets spread out this week, Kev. I'm intrigued by a few, John. One is St. John's at Butler. You know, St. John's without Shamari Parnes a couple of games, and, you know, obviously you can't play without your star, and then he, he comes back and plays very well against Creighton. Now it's time to go on the road and see where they are. Uh, the St. John's, I think St. John's is a top 25 team in the country. But obviously, after being ranked, they lost two in a row, knocked out of the polls. We'll see if they can jump back. You know, Dan Gavin mentioned a short while ago that there's opportunity every week in this in this league, and you and I have kind of talked about that as well. Providence has just that, I think, on Sunday when they have to go to Marquette. Actually, two, John. You know, you think about Marquette, an unbelievable opportunity, a place where Providence has traditionally struggled and, right. and yet won. Uh, last two times last they've been two there. times. Yeah. And then they go to Xavier. Right. So, you know, maybe Ed Cooley will just pitch a tent out there in the uh, Midwest and see if they can grab uh, two wins. Obviously, at this point, that, that would change Providence's season around. It would certainly would change Providence's season. It puts them right back in the mix. Mar- I mean, right now they've got three losses in league play, which is right there in the middle of the league anyway. Providence has not played. There's a couple of games in hand because they've already had their early bye week. You know, if you can get to 500 in this conference, even this early, you're in position. You only want to be in position. Only Villanova can go undefeated. <laughs> so far. Yeah, so far anyway. Our Twitter question of the week, and again, you can ask any question you like. Just hit us up on the hashtag TWITBE, T-W-I-T-B-E. This one comes from Friars Vox, who says, What does Providence need to be a more complete team? Shooters or a different mentality in key moments? Seems they're always on the cusp of being great, but they can't quite get over the hump. I think they need to more solidified backcourt. Their backcourt play both at the point and at the two-guard without A.J. Reeves. They haven't shot the ball well from the three-point line. And at point guard, you know, they're playing a freshman and a sophomore. So the inconsistency in the backcourt, it's really tough to win in college basketball without solid guard play. Well, don't forget, if you're still looking for more Big East Hoop news, you can tune in each week live with Big East Shootaround. It's available on the Big East Facebook page, on Big East uh, on Twitter, at Big East on Twitter, and the Fox Sports Go app. Shootaround features coaches, player interviews from around the league every week. Send your questions in as well. You can be featured on the show. Our thanks this week to Xavier's Travis Steele, Fox Sports analyst Tariq Turner, and NCAA Vice President for Basketball, Dan Gavitt, for joining us. Thanks also go out to our flagship stations at Creighton, DePaul, and the Fox Sports Properties at Georgetown for their help in providing all the great sound that brings us all a little closer to those big moments you hear in these games. Thanks to our producer, Kevin Collins, and to the coaches and administrators at all 10 Big East member institutions. For Kevin McNamara. I'm John Rook, and if you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a little review on iTunes, or you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at JR Broadcaster. Kev is at Kevin McNamara 33. Questions and retweets, we'll take them all. And we'll be back same time next week for this week in the Big East. 
Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools, Butler, Creighton, DePaul, Georgetown, Marquette, Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, Villanova, and Xavier, as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.